And hey, it's the Jim Meskimen podcast. That must be why I'm talking. And it is the end of January, January 29th, 2015. Again, I just can't get used to saying 2015. I couldn't get used to saying 2014 until the very end. And then I was used to it. It was all grooved in. Anyway, I hope you're having a great week. My week has been rather lackluster. But uh, as usual, I have no one to blame but myself. Last week was incredibly busy, hairy, it was spine-tingling, it was full of thrills and chills and spills. I got rear-ended on the freeway. For years I've seen other people pulled to the side of the road, exchanging insurance cards, driver's licenses, talking, mismatched people. Whenever you see people on the side of the road after an accident, it's always people that don't go together, like a child's toy. Put these people together. Oh, the sea captain. He doesn't go with what? The grocery store clerk? No, he doesn't. And he doesn't go with the pirate? No. But that's what we have on the side of the road. We have people that shouldn't have met and certainly, well, maybe they should have met, but they certainly shouldn't have met this way. And I met a couple of nice people, but I was not happy to meet them because they had stove into the back of my car. I was just out riding my bike, uh, not because my car doesn't work. My car works fine. It just is all bunged up. And the sky tonight was so, you know, intoxicating. It was so lovely in the crepuscule, that is to say, the twilight hours. It was, uh, well, that's a Garrison Keeler kind of word. The crepuscule is a beautiful, it's a, it's a sort of a harsh word for a beautiful subject. It's as if. A beautiful, magnificent scene from nature is reduced down to something that sounds slightly medical, something that should be treated with a, a salve. Anyway, the uh, twilight was so lovely. The sunset over uh, Tarzana, anyway, was uh, beautiful salmon color, just glowing kind of peachy tones and uh, the beautiful trees and the branches and the twigs of winter up against that salmon as I rode around was just... Uh, Remarkable, so beautiful. And I wondered, you know, what does salmon think when they look up through the water on such a day in the lake or wherever salmon are, in the river, and they see this, the sky is completely salmon colored? Do they go, That's, that must be God, that's God. Look, Arthur, it's God. I don't know. I don't speak salmon. Well, you know, you could speak salmon if you wanted to. Who are you? I'm a representative of the uh, aquatic language program. You, you're so much slimy. Yes. Yes, I've been told that. Uh, you could learn to speak salmon, or in California, it's very useful to learn to speak koi. Koi, like the like, like the koi, koi like, like the yeah. koi fish. Yes. What possible practical use would it be for me to be able to speak to koi fish? Well, you really don't know until you really get down and explore. Yeah. Once you really no. become attuned to the world of fish mm. and uh, underwater creatures, well, such as anemones or even plankton. Oh, come on. Plankton? Yes. Don't look so surprised. I'm surprised how you even got in here. Well, you have only yourself to blame. Why? I came in in your glass of water. Well, get back in there then. It's so unsanitary. Been doing a lot of writing today. I'm trying to put together a keynote address that I can deliver about uh, voices and... You know, I'm trying to deliver this speech to, well, to government people, to IT people, to business people, corporate types. You know, I'm trying to find what do I have to offer them from my lofty position as a voiceover actor. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think what I do is particularly special or rare, but, of course, it's stuck to me like tar and feathers, so you know, it's hard for me to see it. 
But I, I think it is meaningful and worthwhile to talk to people about, hey, you know, you can change your viewpoint. Hey, you can consider how you express yourself. I don't think many of us think about the impact that we make on other people. You know the horrible expression when, when people are fighting, particularly men and women when they're fighting, and one of them says, I wish you could hear yourself. I just wish you could hear yourself talk right now. Are you listening to what you're saying? You know, we've all heard that, and, and, and you can see why the speaker says that because you know, we, we aren't aware of how we sound. We aren't aware always of what we say because we're too wrapped up in, you know, forming the justification for the horrible thing we just did and you know, spitting it out as quickly as possible. We don't actually hear it until later on when it's repeated in a deposition. And I think it's worthwhile for people to take a look at it. And, and particularly, you know, when you, hit, when you do have time to figure out how to present yourself you know, I know for sure that people don't think about their voices as much as I do. I think about my voice many times a day because, you know, I'm called upon to sound like other people and alter the way my voice is. And that, of course, betokens a certain understanding of where your basic voice resides. So I'm trying to put together some sort of, uh, some sort of worthwhile talk about it and uh, hopefully be inspirational to people and... Uh, so that was, it's interesting to try to write. If you've ever tried to write a speech, you're alone writing it. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of have to create the audience uh, in your mind and put them out in front of you and, and figure out what it is that will be funny. And, and that's very hard to do. Uh, somewhat easier to figure out what will be, you know, what will make your point, because after all, it's your point. And then if, if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. Kind of like on this podcast. The Oscars are coming up, I guess, uh, February sometime next month, and that's always an exciting period. I have seen a lot of the films. I saw The Impression Game, which should be... Oh, no, no, it's not The Impression Game. I always call it The Impression Game. <laughs> it's the, impres... the Imitation, the British Imitation Game. And uh, I, I liked it okay. I thought it was fine. And uh, still haven't got a handle on how to imitate Benedict Cumberbatch, because he's sort of a... Well, you know, he's an actor like Brad Pitt. He can sound it a lot of different ways. Christ, is Colin Firth up for anything? I don't think Colin Firth is up for an Academy Award this year. I don't know. It's, it must be very testing, very trying to not get an Academy Award. I imagine anybody that has an Academy Award goes through that whole gauntlet of winning and campaigning, you know, and being feted at um, all these parties and so forth. The next year must be really a bummer. You know, you're like, oh, you just feel like I have fallen. You know, I, I'm the fallen angel. And look at this other chap is getting all the attention. Ah, yes, I had all that attention last year. It was quite pleasant. Uh, this year, I'm not particularly engaged in anything. I, my work was very good, but it just wasn't recognized by the Academy, even though I did a Woody Allen film. Birdman, terrific movie. I think I talked about it the night I saw it uh, in my podcast. I thought it was remarkable, and I really admire the director and to figure out all that stuff, the director and the line producer, how they figured out how to create all those things. And I respect the actors. I'm very satisfied that they won the SAG Ensemble Award because that was a real ensemble. You know, a lot of times people that win the ensemble, best best cast, I think it's called, on the SAG Awards, gosh, they're lucky that they even saw each other the same day. You know, it's, it's film is an illusion. You're not, you're not in the clubhouse with all these people all day long making theater as you are in a theater, never mind the clubhouse. But um, so I was happy about that. And Birdman, the language of Birdman is great. I'd love to make a movie like Birdman. I'd like to be part of it. I'd like to try to solve that. And maybe, maybe now more films will be like that. And that'll be very interesting. The Theory of Everything, haven't seen it yet. American Sniper, wasn't my cup of tea. 
Bradley Cooper, I got no complaint about Bradley Cooper. He's a terrific actor. I saw Bradley Cooper in a stage play with Julia Roberts years ago, and he was really fantastic, energetic, brilliant acting, and uh, really, really thought he was great. And then I forgot all about him. And then when I saw The Hangover, I didn't recognize the same guy, and I thought, what a jerk that guy is. I don't like him. <laughs> I had this terrible fickle reaction to Bradley Cooper in The Hangover because I thought, he's really like that. What an idiot. It just shows you, even, even I, an old seasoned veteran like myself, an old salt, can be completely fooled by the illusion of filmmaking. They're not like that, folks. They're actors, he reminded himself and the world. I want to talk about infinity, uh, but I realize I don't have a whole lot of time. Hey, let's listen to this first. I think you'll like this. Welcome back to Honky Tonkin. Here in the Cracker Barrel Studios, we have a great guest with us here today, Wallace Feeney. Wallace, thank you for coming here. Wallace, as everybody knows, is the corn maze champion of the southeastern United States. Wallace, thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. Wallace, I know you just took home the Southeast Regional Championship trophy uh, at the corn maze competition uh, there in Durham. And uh, just such a pleasure to have you here. I can't believe you took time out of your daily routine to talk to us about some of your corn maze championships. Well, there's a busy season, so I know that corn maze championship up in Durham was quite a victory. A lot of great competitors up there. Yeah, the season is is vital. I know, you know, because the corn is high and, uh, well, we don't need to talk about agriculture here right now. Let's just talk to you about a little bit about the strategy and how you approach a corn maze. Well, I've been building corn maize until my father, my father and my grandfather of him told us how to make a corn maze. And back uh, back then, of course, it was it had security measures involved, and it wasn't just something for fun; it was something to keep people from from getting into your house. Well, you know, I knew that, but I bet a lot of our listeners didn't know that. Is oh a f- no, it dates back to the ancient Welsh kings, and the, back there up in Wales, out there in the United Kingdom. You can still find uh, illuminated manuscripts that feature uh, corn. Somebody uh, cutting through a corn maze, and it's all there to defend the, the household or whoever it is that's running that territory. I see. I see. Well, now, yeah, you ha- you come from a long line of corn mazers. I know you do. And if you could enlighten us just a little bit about what's the preparation you go through before entering a corn maze? Well, these days you got all kind of high tech things that you can use. You can use geo maps if you want to. You. Can have somebody do a, a drone flyby and shoot pictures and it, in a relatively short amount of time you can map something out there right. even apps that you can get but i don't i don't do any of that i know i know and that I, wallace no, i go out on the old-fashioned way i go out my bare feet and i use uh, ordinary twine and uh, stakes yeah uh, which i pound in the ground with my hand i don't even use a hammer or mallet I just yeah that's what makes that. you great that's what make you as the uh the you the kids say old school old school corn maze king <laughs> that's what they call me. that's what they called me in durham too this last weekend they gave me that special that's trophy. great that's yeah. great hey uh let me ask you how are you doing with uh sponsorships not so good we uh lost uh jolly green giant last year so that was uh, that was bad because you know they're uh, their whole they took a big hit in the whole cream corn 
division. I mm-hmm. think it's that GMO fiasco. But uh, right. anyway, so we lost our big spot. We're hoping uh, to get the uh, uh, Sally Ann corn dog account this year. I hope you do. I hope you do. You know, I love the color. good corn dog. It is, Sally and Ann. I love the color scheme of their logo. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to look good on you, Wallace. I, well, yeah, and we always wear a lot of, uh, when we do get endorsement, I put it on my overalls, and I put yep. it on my truck. And, that, uh, Try to make as much of an now, impact as we can. Now, I know a lot of listeners there out now have a great question they want to ask you, and I'll ask it for them. Okay. How do you feel about the new ruling of the corn maze going from a one-eighth mile to a one-quarter mile? I think it's a it's a it's a good opportunity. I think it's a way to expand the field, make all it a little right. more challenging. A one eight we've all experienced a one eighth mile now for quite a while. I think we all kind of know what mm-hmm. the ins and outs of it are, mm-hmm. quite literally. And so I I for I for one welcome the opportunity to fill a quarter mile uh, with my maze. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've been the record holder for, in the for the one eighth for so so long. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna relish myself the quarter mile that's coming up. Hey, tell me now about your chief competition. He's uh, knocking at your door, Wallace. Well, you talk about Scott Nerdlinger, and he is, of course, uh, one of the greats. He too comes from a great family of uh, uh, corn majors, and uh, I always wish him the best. Of There's not too many of us left mm-hmm. anymore, and so I got a lot of respect. A lot of props go out. I mean, he, he's definitely uh, a comer. He tends to to. Uh, well, I don't want to talk out of school, and if you're listening, that's good. It's not personal, but he does that cutback a little too often, yeah. and he doesn't do as many of the uh, uh, sectional uh, spheroid uh, traps uh-huh. uh, that I like to do. Uh, and, well, that's uh, your, you know, you have so many sort of signature my moves. That's yeah. sort of my trademark. It yeah. really is great. Yeah. Well, you've always been such a great and uh, a humble competitor. And I know well, many times when you've done a maze with him, you two guys uh, cross paths. And I know that uh, you guys have always been, had a respectful, uh, healthy relationship yeah, with one another. Yeah, we hold each other at arm's length, but we uh, shake hands over the hedge. That's what we call it. Shake hands <laughs> over the hedge. That's good. Yeah. Well, I know your time is valuable. I yep. know you got to get back to training. And uh, Wallace, thanks so much for stopping by here at Honky Tonkin. Wallace Feeney, everyone, uh, Corn Maze Channel. So I said I wanted to talk about infinity. Really, I wanted to talk about resources and using your resources because I found that, um, you know, it's very interesting. When, when you sit down to write and you think, oh, gosh, this is hard. This is hard work. And writing is actually not hard work. Hard work is when you're digging post holes in tough, dry clay. That's hard work. Or you're trying to weld something that's underwater. I imagine that's very hard work. Training pit bulls that are already, you know, half crazed. I think that's that's hard work. But I started thinking about, well, you know, I've got all this information that I want to share. It's really just a question of getting it out and organizing it and stuff like that. And it reminded me of a lesson I learned one time from another uh, actor friend of mine, Peter McKenzie, who is a terrific actor. And uh, he and I were on a, a shoot of a movie called Inherit the Wind, the famous stage play. And uh, we had a lot of downtime. It's a courtroom drama, so most of the, not most of the time, but a great deal of time was spent just off stage and hanging around and waiting for them to relight and so forth. And uh, one thing that Peter, I discovered, is very good at is playing Scrabble. And I, I used to fancy myself a rather good Scrabble player. I think I have a pretty good vocabulary and uh, so forth. So I sat down to play Scrabble with him after seeing him trounce a few people. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Turns out he's quite good, quite good. And, uh, you know, had a way of, you know, somehow building a little word that would be, you know, up and down and triple letter score. And, you know, every time he laid down a word, it was good for about 70 points, which is phenomenal. You know, whereas just to compare, 
I would lay down a word, and maybe it would be, you know, as long as the word, uh, you know, umbrella-ify or something, if that is a word. Anyway, a lengthy word would be worth, you know, we'd tally it up, 13 points. Meanwhile, Peter's just creaming me. But the thing that made it the most humiliating, I guess, is that at the same time, he was also playing another fellow and beating him in chess. So I recognized at that moment that there was a lesson to be learned, and the lesson was resources. You know, I had, this, I had the same basic barriers that he had. I had seven letters. I had the letters that were on the board. I had the English language that was at my disposal, and I had the same amount of time. It's not a timed game. So I had exactly the same things that Peter McKenzie had, but he was yielding, you know, six or seven times the amount of points with every play that I was. So it was not luck. Luck was not a factor. It was pure skill. And, you know, I, I think he's played before. I think he knew some tricks. Okay, great. But that's still a resource. That's a resource. It just happened to be a more developed resource for him. But I took a look at that, and it was sort of chilling. And I don't know if you feel the same way or if you've ever noticed it, or perhaps you're better at this, but I don't think I use my resources completely in life, you know, all kinds of resources. You might ask yourself this question. How well do you use your connections, the people that you know, you know, the things that you know, the, uh, the equipment? I mean, if you just look at a computer, how many apps are there on your phone or your computer by use of which you could create something that could improve your life or improve somebody's life? Mental uh, resources, you know, the things that you know, the experiences that you've had, do they languish somewhere in your memory or are you able to... I don't know, create a song out of them or create a cautionary tale or a pilot idea or, you know, what do you do with these ideas? We're very experienced beings, human beings. We've, you know, if you're like me and you're in your 50s, you've had all kinds of experiences. You've met all kinds of people. And all of that is fodder for a writer or for a performer. And you can do stuff with it, you know. This is the grand age of, of doing stuff with things that are already manufactured. For example, in the art world, just to diverge here for a second, collage is experiencing this, this huge resurgence, uh, and there's amazing stuff done with collage. Why? I think it has to do with the fact that there's so much recyclable material. There are, you know, we've got the greatest printing capabilities of any culture ever on this planet, I don't think, uh, or rather I do think, and so you have these images that you might as well, you know, tear them up, recycle them, put them in different you know, combinations and create something aesthetic. It's just going to go in the trash. You know, we might as well do something with them, maybe have them, you know, express some kind of message or say something artistic with them. So and I think that's happening in music, too. We're taking, you know, we're sampling things. We're taking scraps of music. We're reimagining things. You know, people are taking old songs that everybody knows and then putting a little spin on them, you know, doing something different. We're recycling. Maybe that's it. It's the golden age of recycling, which is a way of using your resources. And so I took a look at that lesson that I learned as Peter McKenzie beat my ass in Scrabble. And I thought, wow, there's something to be learned here about the use of resources. And so I've tried to improve my ability to, to do that. And, and, I, and it's humbling. It's very humbling because I get distracted. You know, I, like everybody, there's a lot of things to do and you want to kind of do what you did before. And, you know, just the idea of, of going back and looking at what you have and maybe going outside your comfort zone, which certainly recycling of ideas and, and things that you know and repurposing of ideas requires a bit of that. I don't know, something to think about. Uh, and as far as infinity goes, <laughs> I like that phrase. That's a good, that would be a good title for a book. As far as infinity goes dot, 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 um, you know, there's infinite possibilities. 
really. And I had a, just a recent flash of, of how much more infinite infinity really is than I thought. You know, I kind of got used to thinking infinity was, oh, I kind of get infinity. I kind of get it. I sort of have grasped it. <laughs> this is really esoteric. I apologize. But I realized, no, you have no idea. Let's take a piece of dust. This is really heady, right? But you take a piece of dust, and inside that piece of dust, there's a, a whole universe of things. That can be proven. There's a whole universe. You take an electron microscope or whatever the, the super powerful microscope of today is, you know, and there is. There's a universe in there. Okay, is there a piece of dust in that universe? Zoom in on that, baby. Anyway, that's pretty mind-bending. But it, it makes me feel good to think about infinity because... Rather than being a scary thing, like I'm just a speck, because I realize my sense of myself and hopefully your sense of yourself is that you're bigger than things. You're an individual. You know, you create things. So a universe full of things shouldn't be a threat to us. It should be nice to know that there's so much space. I like space. I'm in a rather small booth right now saying this to you, but I, I, you know, I, I can put enough space there. Uh, so that it feels comfortable. Boy, this is really getting esoteric. But uh, well, I guess what I wanted to say is, I love you. Thanks for listening. Hey, um, thanks to Jeff Levin for the music. Thanks to Tate Rupert for the improv, as always. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about, but we're going to save it. Uh, the impression guys, still no word, but uh, it's all looking really rosy. It's looking like a salmon-colored sky, folks. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Okay, thanks for listening.